that'll be true for all of us as we sing that song. When we leave this place, we know we've been revived. <laughs> and that's what it's all about, isn't it, being revived? You know, why do we come to church? Fellowship, for sure. But also to be revived, you know, because all week long, it's like a battery. If you don't charge it, turn that key and it, it's got to be charged, right, in order to keep on cranking. Same way with us. All week long, guess what? We're being drained by the world. You know, everywhere we look, something draining our energy. And we come here on Sunday morning, what happens? We get revived. And we need that. We need our battery charged so that we'll be able, like Brother Steve was praying, that we'll be a light in this world. And that's what God has us for, right? Why are we here? We know one day we're going to fly away. But until that day comes, he wants us to be a light here. Because I tell you what, there's plenty of darkness, isn't it? Everywhere you look. And yet God has called us to be a light in the darkness. Good to be here with you this morning. I want to tell you that. But, you know, the Bible says in James, draw nigh to God and he will what? Draw nigh to you, right? So, you know what? Every one of us in here this morning, we're just as close to God as we want to be. Do you know that? I'm just as close to God as I want to be. And the, the ball's in our court. And we can be closer. We can always be a little closer to God than we are, can't we? You know, many years ago, I'd say like 25 years ago, my Uncle Vince, who's gone on to be with the Lord now, we were at the funeral home, and uh, we got to talking. And he was probably my age when he told me this, I was considerably younger. And uh, he had diabetes. He was having trouble with his health. Uh, he probably knew more scripture than anybody except a couple of people that I know. But he could rattle scripture off right and left. And he said, Joe, I want you to remember this scripture because it's something you really need to hang on to. And it's 2 Corinthians four sixteen. For which cause we faint not, for though the outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us. Oh boy, can't believe I forgot. The more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. For the things which are seen are temporal, and the things which are unseen are eternal. And so as the natural man, which is the earthly man, is perishing, the inward man, the spiritual man, is being renewed day by day or being refreshed or being strengthened day by day. So here was a man like my age then and was telling me that the things about him were perishing. He was in that phase of beginning to die. And yet he was just as spiritually strong as ever in his life. Why? Because he was feeding on the things of God constantly. And so it's true with us also. The natural man is always looking to the things of this world to bring them contentment and fulfillment. And the problem with that is that they are temporary. They are passing away. And so that natural man that is looking to the things of this world eventually begins to be hopeless because they see that those things cannot sustain them. But the spiritual man, the one that my Uncle Vince was telling me about in that scripture, Second Corinthians 4 and 16, is not putting their hope in the things of this world. Now, do we need some of the things of this world to survive? Surely. We need food. We need raiment and other things to be able to survive. But we see them as they are, they are temporary. For the world, they're like a God, little g to them. But to us, they're only to help us be able to survive, and that's it. And so the spiritual man knows that their internal contentment and peace can only come from an eternal God. That's the only way that we can have internal contentment and peace is by believing in an eternal God. And then we have that contentment. We have that peace 
No matter what is taking place in our life, we still have contentment. Because we see the temporary things as they really are. And we see the spiritual things as what sustains us. Even Solomon, as wise as he was and as wealthy as he was, he knew there was something more. He looked high and low. He looked far and wide. And he still said, at the conclusion, everything is vanity and troubling of spirit. It's empty and troubling of spirit. And so what did he do? He began to truly seek what it was that he needed to have contentment because he knew this world could not provide it. He was a wise man in knowing that. And so you know what he said in Ecclesiastes 3 and 21? Who knoweth the spirit of man that goeth upward? You see, he was beginning to get an understanding. The spirit of man, it's that spiritual man that he's beginning to think about and what he was looking upward to the eternal God. And then he began to understand why we were here physically on this earth because it was looking forward to that time when we would be with God. And that's why he said in Ecclesiastes 3 and 14, I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. And that was a clue to it. When he entered eternity into it, then it all began to fit its proper place. And that's the same way with us. When we put all the pieces to the get together, then we realize what he said in Ecclesiastes 3 and 14, I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it, and nothing can be taken from it, that man should what? Fear God. Reverence God. And so he hit the nail right on the head because he realized that all this life on this earth is doing is looking forward to the time that we will what? Fly away. <laughs> now, it may not happen in our lifetime. We hope it does. I mean, I would love to see Christ appear in the eastern sky, see him coming back in all of his glory, wouldn't you? And to know all of a sudden we're going to be changed in an instant and we're going to go up with him after those in the grave go up. Then we'll go up right behind them. Hey, I look forward to that. I wish it would happen right now. I don't know about you. Wouldn't it be a perfect time, though, while we're here in church, you know, for it to take place, <laughs> go right through that roof? <laughs> hey, the, the walls didn't stop Jesus, did they? He walked right through them. And the spiritual man, the spiritual woman could go right through that ceiling. It couldn't stop us. So we've got something to look forward to. See, all the people in their natural form, are looking for things of this world to sustain them. And guess what? We know that they can't because we need internal contentment and peace. And that only comes from an eternal God, as Solomon found out. Now, how do we experience this internal contentment and peace? Well, living a holy life, walking a sanctified state, and being constantly aware of the role of faith in every aspect of our life. Those three things is living a holy life, walk in a sanctified state, and being constantly aware of the role of faith in every aspect of our life. Those three things are very important in the life of a Christian. Now, what about holiness, the very first one? The instruments in the temple that the priest used for their religious activity were holy instruments. They could only be used by those priests in those ceremonies. And nobody else could touch them or do anything with them. Well, you know what First Peter says in 1 and 15? But as he which hath called you, me, is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation or all manner of life. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. And so God expects us to be holy just like he is. So if the world can see no difference in you and me and in the church, it will have no influence on the unbelievers in this world. It is only when we emulate Christ that his love, his joy, and his peace affects the heart of those unbelievers for the good. 
He said in 2 Corinthians 3 and 18, We all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image. That's 2 Corinthians 3 and 18. So if you look into a mirror, as you probably did this morning before you came to church, what did you see? Your image in that mirror. But when people look at us, they should see the very image of Christ because of the love and the joy and the peace that should be in our heart. So you see, that holiness makes a difference. But also walking in a sanctified state. Holiness is perfected in us when we continue to put off the things of this world and put on the things of God. Then we will become what God intends for us to be. So sanctification is an ongoing process. I know many years ago I did a sermon at our church in Eudora, and I had a sign that I made up. And about, I guess, halfway through the service when I entered the park like we are right now, I put that sign on, and it said just two words, under construction. And how many times have you seen that on the road, you know, or go in a building that's under construction? And guess what? All of us are under construction. God's not through with us. He's still working with us. And, you know, I explained that to the congregation that, hey, you may feel like sometimes that you just are not growing, that you're just not learning, but we're under construction. God's still working with us. He hadn't stopped. We're ever learning. And when the service was over, I had several people come to me and say, you know what, Brother Joe? That really helped me because I've been down on myself lately, you know, because I don't feel like I'm growing fast enough or I did this the past week. But that helped me just to see that sign that God's not through with me. He's still working on me. You know, we need to hear that sometimes, that God is God. We're human beings saved by the grace of God, and we got a lot to overcome in this world. But we are overcoming Little by little, it's a process. Just like <clears throat> I've got a two-and-a-half-year-old great-granddaughter, and she stays with us two days a week. Well, I mean, I can get on her about something, and about an hour later, guess what? She's doing the same thing over again. Now, I could get upset with her, you know, but I realize that she's learning. You know, when she first started staying with us a couple of days a week, my wife wanted to put all the stuff up where she couldn't get to it. And I said, no, we're not doing that. I said, we're going to teach her that she's not supposed to touch these things or get into this. She said, I don't know if that's going to work. And I said, we've got to teach her. And that's what we did. We started teaching her. If she got into something she wasn't supposed to, we got on her. And guess what? Little by little, she learned not to touch those things and mess with those things. She knows it's wrong. Sometimes I'll see her sneaking around, you know, fixing to get into something. I'll Lily, what are you doing? And she'll stop and she'll look at me. But you see, God is doing the same thing with us. He's teaching us as we're trying to teach that little two-and-a-half-year-old what she can do and what she can't do. And she's learning. But she's still got that little eye. She's still a little sinner. And, she, you know, we come into this world. You never have to teach a child how to sin. But you do have to teach them how to do good, don't you? Because we realize they're even little sinners also. So sanctification is not as much of resisting sin as it is turning our natural life into a spiritual life. This is accomplished through a series of choices. When I go to the jail and I preach to those guys, you know what I tell them? I say, you're here because you made a bad choice. If you had made a good choice, you wouldn't be in this jail. So the choices that you make determine the consequences or the blessing that you receive. It's the same way with us. God makes us holy in the sense that he makes us innocence, innocent before him. Then we turn the innocence into holy character through the moral choices that we make. That's how sin decreases in our life, is making those moral choices to say, I'm not going to do that. And each time we do that, sin decreases. 
But if we make the wrong moral choices, then what happens? Sin increases in our life. So it's not so much as resisting sin as it is making a right choice when that temptation comes up to say, nope, I'm not going to do it. Because I know that there's going to be a chastening or a consequence or both that will come right behind it. Some are so deeply entrenched in living out their natural life that they are no value to the kingdom of God. Others rely on the power of the Holy Spirit to break through those barriers and God is able to use them in being light to the people who are perishing all around us. That's why it's so important, as Steve prayed this morning, that we be a light. People are perishing every day on the face of this earth without knowing Christ as their Savior. And that is our duty, is to live it out before them, to mirror, mirror Jesus Christ. The battle for the Christian starts here in the mind. And what happens up here is eventually going to be a reality in our life. 2 Corinthians in chapter 10. If you have your Bibles, you turn there. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And I'd like to look at verse 3. <coughs> give you a second to get there. 2 Corinthians 10 and 3, But though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or of this earth, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Now, when we got saved, I know I had many a stronghold in my life. But you know what? One by one, those strongholds were overcome by the mighty power of God. I have people all the time that tell me that they've got this in their life, they've got that in their life, and they can't overcome them. Well, they can't without God. I couldn't overcome them before God came into my heart. It's only as Christ comes in and gives this power that he's talking about, mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imagination or assumptions, and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bring it into captivity, every thought unto the obedience of Christ. Every thought that goes through our mind, we need to take it into captivity of God. You know, I tell people all the time, you've probably heard, heard it from this very pulpit, that I can't stop a bird from flying over my head. But if he stops and wants to build a nest right there in my hair, I can stop that. Same way with the thought. Thought comes through my mind. I'm the one responsible for stopping that thought. And you're responsible for the thoughts that go through your head. I've had those guys in jail tell me, Brother Joe, I have so many evil thoughts in my head, and I can't seem to get rid of them. I said, it took years for you to get all those thoughts, didn't it? They're not going to leave overnight. But I said, if you were memorize Scripture, and every time... An evil thought comes through your mind. You start quoting scripture, I will guarantee you it will leave. It cannot stay in your mind when you're quoting scripture. It's got to go. Now, it may come back in five minutes, but quote another scripture. And it will leave. They can't stay. Just like two magnets. There's some magnets are so powerful that you can't push them together. And it's the same way. When you've got the word of God up here, You've got scripture memorized that you can quote because we don't always have a Bible with us. And an evil thought comes and you quote that scripture, it's gone. And that's what he's talking about here. That's why this scripture reveals to us, verse 5, casting down imagination in every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of God. The thought I'm having right now, is it pleasing to God or is it displeasing? You know, a lot of times people wonder why that they don't have spiritual sensitivity at a time when they need it. But a lot of times they're harboring something in their heart 
that is a sin, like unforgiveness. If I'm harboring unforgiveness in my heart, then guess what? It obscures my spiritual sensitivity. Because there's something in there that is preventing me from sensing the spiritual things of God because I'm holding something against another person. And a lot of people will carry that to their grave. They'll never forget a, a person for what they did to them or their family. They carry it around and harbor it their whole life and wonder why they're never spiritually sensitive to the will of God in their life. The same can, thing can happen with resentment. It destroys contentment, the very thing that we're talking about. We can have contentment and peace with God, but if we're harboring resentment towards someone, we don't have that contentment. God is not going to let us have contentment if we resent somebody. Now, we have plenty of reason to be upset with our government right now, some of our leaders, but we shouldn't resent them. We should be praying for them. Every day, we ought to be praying that they'll be saved. And then they'll have ears to hear and eyes to see that they're to be doing what the Bible says and not be against the Bible. Impatience prevents spiritual growth. Remember that song, I Did It My Way? I don't remember who it was that sang it. I did it my way. Well, you know, a lot of times we do the same thing. Instead of waiting on God about a decision and praying about it, maybe get someone close to you to pray about it, we just go ahead and do it instead of waiting. That's impatience. And, you know, it takes patience to be able to hear from God and then make the right decision. But I think it's something probably we all have a problem with from time to time is being impatient. And it's one of the things that God wants us to be able to endure until he gives us an answer. Uh, I think there was someone that made a mistake. Abraham, wasn't it? His impatience. Where did Ishmael come from? You know, if he'd have waited on God, but he listened when he should have been thinking that he needed to be patient. Also, being constantly aware of the role of faith in every aspect of our life. Not just faith for the big things in our life, but faith for all the things in our life. What does 2 Corinthians 5 and 7 say? 5 and 7? We are what? We walk by faith and what? Not by sight. We live by faith and not by sight. What were the Israelites' problem? Is they walk by sight and not by faith. You know what Jesus told them in Matthew 12 and 39? But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seek after a sign, and there shall be no sign given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in a whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, a greater than Jonah is here and that greater was Jesus Christ. And they would listen to him. And he told them as Jonah was resurrected from the whale's belly, he was going to be resurrected from the grave in three days and three nights. And that's all the sign that they needed. But you know why they were cut off? Unbelief. He said it in Romans 11 and 20, because of unbelief they were broken off. What is the greatest sin today for America is unbelief. Just like Israel, they do not believe God's word. They do not accept it, the whole of God's word. They want to adulterate it. Take some and get rid of some but they don't want the whole Word of God. But we realize that all the Word of God is true. Every bit of it. We may not understand all of it. I know I don't, but I believe every word of it and hope He'll give me an understanding of it. So the faith that we have is based on something. We're not just pulling our faith 
out of the sky. It's based on something. It is based on the word of God. Uh, he says in John 14 and 6, I am what? The way, the truth, and the life. The truth is right here. <laughs> Jesus is the truth. Know the truth and what? It shall make you free. If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. And so the faith that we have, it is solid on the Word of God. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh to the Father. What? But by me there is only one way. And so it also is based on God's love. John 15 and 13, Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend. There will never be a greater example of love than the love that Jesus and God the Father showed when Jesus went to the cross. That's it. It's the greatest example of love we will ever know. And so it is truth, it is love, but it is also God's faithfulness. 1 Corinthians 10 and 13, There is no temptation taking you, but such is common to man. But God who is faithful who would not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. And you know that truth is true today because look at every one of you. Look at me. We're here, why? Because he gave us a way of escape so that we could bear it. And he is the way of escape. We either as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will have to go through the fiery furnace or God will give us a way around it. Either way, if we go through the fiery furnace, guess who's going to be there with you? What did he say was in there? Do I not see four in that furnace? Yes, O king. That fourth one looks like unto the Son of God. Wasn't that something? Through three in, and now there were four in. So if you've got to go through the fire, guess what? Who's going to be there with you? God Almighty. And sometimes he'll divert us a detour and go around it. And other times he's going to let us go right through it. But guess what? We learn something, don't we? Every time we have to go through that fire, we learn something from it. I found that out. Sometimes I'll, I'll keep wondering, why, Lord? Why? And then all of a sudden I think, I know he's got a purpose for this. I know there's going to be something when it's all said and done that I'm going to learn from it. And you know what? If we have the right attitude, he will show us something. But also, God's promises is what our faith is based on. Hebrew 13 and 5, I will never leave you or forsake you so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. Whom shall I fear? Nobody. You don't have to fear anybody because when you have God on your side, who can come against you? Who is going to prevail against you? We've, we're going to have some skirmishes, but we're going to win overall. Greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. I need my faith renewed every day. And you know how I renew that faith every day? Is I start out as a spiritual man by starting out meditating on the Word of God so that I won't start out as a natural man but I start out as a spiritual man, spending time in God's Word. And for me, it's in the morning before I ever start out is make sure that I start out on the right foot. When I was in the Marine Corps, we always started out marching on the right foot. It was never on the left foot, always the right foot. And it's the same way. If we start out in the morning on the right foot in the Word of God, then guess what? It'll be a totally different day for us. Even though we may have all kind of stuff thrown against us. We're still walking as a spiritual man or as a spiritual woman. I need my faith renewed every day as I connect with God through prayer. The one who provides, protects, and assures me that guess what? He's going to be with me that day. So we need our faith renewed constantly by praying, by meditating on God's word, and remembering that we are here for a reason. That I remember 
that you remember that we are to be ambassadors of God, fulfilling God's will on this earth. Jesus is not down here walking around on this earth right now, but you and I are. And we're to be his ambassadors doing what he would do here on this earth. You're about, he says in uh, 1 Corinthians 6 and 19, Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own. The day I got saved, I was no longer my own, and neither were you. For you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You belong to him if you're a child of God this morning. You're his. 2 Corinthians 5 and 15 says, that, And that he died for all, that they which live should no longer live unto themselves, but unto him that died for them and rose again. And so we live our life now for him because he died for us. I want you to uh, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6, if you will. 1 Timothy chapter 6. And I want to look at verse 6. Six and six. The very thing that we've been talking about, contentment. And this scripture starts out with it. But godliness with contentment is great gain. That sentence says it all, doesn't it? Godliness, being a holy man or woman of God walking in a sanctified state and relies on the importance of faith in every aspect of our life. For we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out. The only thing that we're going to carry out when we leave this world, we have one life to live, it will soon be passed, only what is done for Christ will last. Lay up not for your treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt and thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure where? In heaven where moth and rust cannot corrupt and where thieves cannot break through and steal. That's all we're going to bring with us is the treasures that we've laid up in heaven. Those things that we have done for God. And guess what? A lot of times people don't even know what we've done. Sometimes it's behind the scenes. When I was in the Marines, I mean, we had people behind the lines that were keeping the guys up on the front lines. You know what I'm saying? If those guys behind the line were not doing their job, they wouldn't be able to stay on the front line. They were important. Even though usually they were not under fire, they still were important to keep the ones on the front line. Well, it's the same way. A lot of times the things that you do, nobody knows about them but God and you but you're building your treasure in heaven. And he sees it. And you know what? He's the only one that matters. If you get right down to it, he's the only one that matters. So we're going to take nothing with us. We've heard that old saying over and over, you never see a U-Haul behind a hearse. There's no reason for it. We came into this world naked. We're going to leave this world naked. We're not taking anything of material importance with us and having food and raiment let us therewith be content but they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown man or overcome man in destruction and perdition or death now he says the love of money is the root of all evil now is there anything evil about that? There's nothing evil about a dollar bill, is it? Nothing evil about the money. But it is the love of money. What can this buy? Men covet it. Women covet it because why? What it can buy. 
And they begin to let that be their God. Little g. Instead of God being their God. They put this before God. And before a lot of people. People will run others over. In order to get more of this stuff. That guess what one day. It ain't even going to matter. It'll be worthless. And yet people will seek after it the whole life. Try to fill up a bank account with it. Try to have their pockets full of it, their pocketbooks full of it, and one day you won't be able to buy a thing with it. And they spent their whole life, just like it says here, for the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, or thou, O woman of God, here's three things. Flee. Follow and fight. Three things in these two scriptures. Flee these things. What things? The things we're just talking about. The things of the world. And what? Follow. Flee and follow. Follow after what? Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, or endurance, and meekness. That is the very things we're talking about. The internal things of God is what we're seeking after. Not the external things of the world because we know they're going to pass away. And then fight. See, we have to fight for our faith. Fight the good fight of faith. What does he tell us in Ephesians 6? Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. Above all, taking what? The shield of faith that you might be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. You tell me that it's not a fight? It is a fight. Ephesians 6 tells us that it is a fight. That we're fighting against those powers, principalities, wickedness and darkness and those that are in authority that shouldn't be in authority. Fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life. That's what Solomon was trying to say, that earthly things are looking forward to eternal things. Exterior things cannot bring internal peace and contentment. Only an eternal God can bring internal peace and contentment. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life whereunto thou art also called and have professed a good profession before many witnesses. I gave thee charge I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth or maketh alive all things, and before Christ Jesus who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession or profession, that thou keep thy, keep this commandment without spot or uncontaminated by the world, unrebukable until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. The type of peace that we know is not a peace because we go and stick our head in the ground and say, oh, there's no trouble in the world. No, that's not the type of peace that we have. It's a peace that we know there's trouble in the world. We know there's danger all around us. But the peace is because of the knowledge that we have of the one who is able to carry us through, to keep us, as Hebrews 13 and 5 says. I will never leave you or forsake you, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, whom shall I fear? That's why our faith is so important, because we believe what God's Word says. We are very aware of just how hostile this world is and how dangerous it is. But we have our faith in the one who is able to deliver us through it. When we think about how important it is to mirror Christ, we think about someone in the Old Testament who was like Jesus of the New Testament. Joseph was one who was 
tempted. He was tried. He had people turn against him that he loved. And yet, Joseph was a holy man of God. You try to find something in the Bible against Joseph, you won't find it. He walked a sanctified life. He separated himself from those things of the world that would prevent him from doing God's will. And he was a faithful man of God. You think back to when his brothers hated him, they were jealous of him, threw him in a pit, then he was sold to the Ishmaelites for what? 20 pieces of silver. Think about Jesus Christ. Was he loved by his own? No. He came into his own and his own received him not. In fact, they were responsible in a way for him being on the cross. He was sold for 30 pieces of silver. You think about Joseph and how that he was accused falsely by Potiphar's wife and put into prison. Jesus was falsely accused and held captive. Joseph was tempted by Potiphar's wife. And what did he do? Did he just walk away from her? He ran. He knew he didn't want to be in a situation where that he might do something that would jeopardize what God had called him to do. Jesus was tempted in all ways as we are, yet without sin. You see the likeness here I'm talking about of Joseph and Jesus Christ. When Joseph had his brothers come to him while he was in Egypt, when he was the prime minister, he could have had them executed. He could have had them jailed for what they did to him. But do you know what he did? He laid his head on them, and he cried, and he kissed them, and he loved them. Because he had already forgiven them long before they ever showed up. What did Jesus do from the cross when he looked down at those that had put him there? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He forgave them. Just as Joseph forgave his brothers, Jesus did the same with us. Joseph said in 45 and 7, And God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So it's not you that sent me hither, but God. Joseph knew who sent him to Egypt, and it wasn't his brothers. They were a device that was used. He said, what man meant for evil, God used for good. <laughs> you think about Jesus now. And I want to read a passage to you out of Isaiah 53 and 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him or crush him. Who? Father God. Crushed his son. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul. Who's this? God the Father. Will see the travail of his own son's soul, and shall be satisfied by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. You see, it was God the Father that sent his son here on this earth to die in our place. We're the ones that deserve what happened to him. But he was sent by God. What does John 3.16 say? It says it all in that. For God so loved the world that he did what? He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have life everlasting. God gave that that was most precious to him. Do you know how much he loves you? You know how much God loves me? Enough to send his son to die for you and for me 
And he knew when he sent him how he was going to suffer. He knew all the anguish, all the grief that his son was going to suffer, and he still sent him because he saw us and knew we didn't have a chance. We were hopeless. We were going to hell, and we had no way to prevent it. Wherefore, by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, and that all have sinned. Every one of us guilty when we come into this world. And so, John 3.16 tells it all. The word perish does not mean the end of life. It means the end of well-being. And God prevented us from going to hell so that we would be in a place where he's going to be. And you know, it wouldn't matter to me if it was in a tent with Christ. It would still be heaven. But we know from what the Bible says, it's going to be much better than a tent. Wherever he is, is going to be heaven to me. That's where I want to be, don't you? So when you think about Joseph and what he went through, what he suffered, and yet how God used him. And if you think about yourself, you know, he was flesh and blood just like we are. But he walked as a holy man, as a sanctified man, and as a man of faith. And that's all God is requiring of us. Live a holy life. Separate ourselves from the world and unto God. And then have the faith that, hey, God is right here in me. He is with me. And I have a duty on this earth. And that is to fulfill his will. And you know what Joseph did? He glorified God by the life he lived. And you know what? We can glorify God also by the life that we live. Are there some changes that we need to make in our life? Is there something that may be preventing us from being sensitive to the will of God? Well, only you know that and only God knows that. I know that about myself. If there's something in me that needs to go, then God is going to reveal it through the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit's a convictor. He convicts us when there's something in our life that shouldn't be there. We can do something about it or not. If we do something about it, then what happens? Our spiritual sensitivity increases. We're more aware. The Word of God is more illuminated when we study it. As we surrender to Him and we're obedient to His Word, then we begin to have that discernment of spirit that it talks about in 1 Corinthians 12 that is a gift of the Holy Spirit. You see, a bear <coughs> that's sleeping in that den, you know what? He's no harm to anybody. As long as he's sleeping and I'm on the outside of that cave, hey, we're good. But you know when that bear is through hibernating and he comes out of that den, he's a force to be reckoned with because he's hungry. And you better not be the first one to see you or me. Well, you know the Holy Spirit can be the same way in us. The Holy Spirit's a mighty force inside of every believer but he's probably hibernating in some because they have not been obedient to God's will. They haven't been sensitive when the Holy Spirit has revealed something to them. They've just let it go on and not done anything to change it. And so eventually, it's like the Holy Spirit is like that bear in that cave hibernating. But when we become what God wants us to be, there's a mighty force working in us. We're more than conquerors through him that loved us. And each one of us can only examine ourselves before him and realize that when God reveals something to us, what do we do about it? That's the key to it. Dear Lord, I thank you for these that are here this morning. I thank you, Lord, that they asked me to come and preach. It's a privilege to me to come here and be with them to I could sense the Spirit of God as we were singing, Lord. And I know that's something special, Lord, when we can feel your Spirit, when we're worshiping you. Lord, we're worshiping the God of heaven. We're worshiping the creator of all things. We're worshiping the one that died on the cross to pay the price of our sin. And worship is something that, Lord, is an honor to you. 
when you hear your children here on this earth that are going through so much, Lord, looking up to you and worshiping you and thanking you, Lord, for all that you do in their lives. And that truly, Lord, is a blessing to you. We can bless you by worshiping you. But also, Lord, we come to you. And Lord, as it says in James, draw nigh to God. He'll draw nigh to you. Are we as close to you as we can be? Help us, O oh Lord, to have a desire to be even closer than we are at this time by submitting to you, being obedient to your word, and by loving others, Lord, as you love us. Greater love has no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friend. We realize there's a sacrifice involved when we do what is right in your sight. Today, Lord, we lift up those that are in government, those that are making decisions, Lord. We just pray, Lord, that eyes will be opened by those in charge of our country and the government. We've seen some decisions that have been made, Lord, that make us cringe because we know what the Word of God says. But, Lord, we pray that the eyes will be opened, that they will see their sin, Lord and that they might kneel before you, a holy, righteous God, and be saved, and then begin to do that that is pleasing in your sight, that our country might turn back to serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and you, Lord Jesus Christ. So open blind eyes, open deaf ears, and may we see a change in our country. Lord, we love our country. Some of us have been in uniform serving our country in the past. And, Lord, we don't like to see what's happening in our country. And we just pray that there will be a change. And help us to do our part, Lord, to pray constantly for our leaders that they would be saved. And the direction of our country would turn back to the way our founding fathers based the foundation of this nation on the Word of God. So keep us all safe. We pray for those, those names that were mentioned, Lord, that need prayer for those that passed away, pray for their families, pray for the sick, pray for someone in here this morning, Lord, that may not be feeling well, that needs a healing from you, Lord, needs strengthening, encouraging, but also healing in their body. And we pray this in your precious name, Jesus Christ. And Lord, we love you with all our heart. Amen.